Billy Mays. Billy Mays here. We saw this boat in half. Even Optimus Prime can't break this shit. You remember that one? The the Djibouti dubs. That shit was good. Dude, the internet was way more like comedic and um, original. Like the E-bombs world days. The stuff that went viral back then. Yeah, exactly. It was actually it was, funny. It was actually funny, and people put effort into actually making it funny. It wasn't just like some TikTok dance. It or wasn't just shock value. Too. Exactly. It wasn't right. shock value. It was. It was about being clever and, uh, um, you know, making a joke. That's the number one that I don't understand, bro. The TikTok day. Like I get that new social media platforms are going to come along and become popular with the younger kids, but the TikTok and the dancing thing. Explain that one, bro. Well, I mean, MTV started it in the 80s, right? So you could watch people fucking dancing to the music, and then that died off, but then it became reality TV dancing. And it's like basically they merged music videos and reality TV together. And, um. Yeah, but what's reality TV about it? I just don't get it. Well, it's a regular person doing it, it's a regular person that can be famous. And now, Not, you know, that was the whole attraction, I think, of re reality TV is people are like, it could be me. I could be a Kardashian. Yeah, maybe I could get on this show next season. Yeah, I'm going to move to L.A. and I'm going to get popular. I'm going to get friends with her. Whatever, you know, that it's was, like, that was like, the idea. It's like you weren't, you weren't going to go to Hollywood and become an actress to become famous. There's now this back door to becoming famous. I just don't get it. I'll fucking dancing. It's like we were talking about in the car. Oh, I mean, it's worked. Like, like, look at all these people on TikTok that have gotten famous, and these girls go put OnlyFans up and make a million dollars in a day. Yeah, but it's just like, it, it, it's the next level of that cringy shit we were talking about earlier. Like, anytime somebody no, posts a selfie, you, get, you go, Ugh. If you got no shame, you can play any game. It's just such a short-term, you're chasing that hey, short-term reward. At the end of the day, know? they're just taking advantage of all the simp dudes that are willing to pay for this stupid shit, too. You, you, you know what I'm, it's... At the end of the day, I guess they're, they're, I can't knock the hustle if there's a market for it. That's the, that's my point. Is that at the end of the day, if you have no shame in your game, and there's someone willing to pay for you to, you know, to a certain degree, shame yourself in society, right? Then, is what it is. I you don't you don't care, and they're willing to pay. That's a business deal. I guess who we should really be clowning are the dudes that are willing to pay for this. I've always wondered who about. the fuck is paying for OnlyFans, bro. That's what I'm saying. And then you saw the biggest the, the biggest earner on OnlyFans is uh who's that? Black China? That's what you were telling me, yeah. Bro, that chick is disgusting. Yeah. I don't, I've never met anyone who's like, oh, Black well, China. She you know or I mean? the internet or whoever has convinced men or women or whoever's paying for her subscription. Um, that she is attractive. There's got to be something extent. else to it, though. I don't think people sign up for her more because they think. I mean, she's I would. I wouldn't pay for a Cardi B lap dance either. But a lot of women that want to be her. I just have never understood. There's, if you want Everyone's internet access, yeah. it's free in a million different forms on the internet. Why would you pay for it? Simping. I think it's that's what it is. It's like these guys have no contact with they, women yeah. in real life. So yeah. if they can even get like a woman to respond to their comment. It's actually a guy in Bangladesh <laughs> being paid by Black China to do it. But I mean that's basically, you know. Oh, have you seen 
That, that is, that's the internet for you. What? I don't know what it's called, but have you seen the video of the girl who, uh, she's doing some kind of live stream and she's just responding to what people are entering and tipping? Oh, the NPC thing? Yeah, yeah what yeah. is that? Where she goes, yes, mmm, yum, yes, yes, thank you, yes, yes, oh, yes, no, yum. And there's yeah. a clip of her yelling at her kid. She's like, yes, yes, hey, motherfucker, knock it off, bud. Yes, yes, yes. Or it's in like some <laughs> other language. Yeah, she yeah. screams at him in another language, but it's like, she's at home Ice taking care of the yummy. kids. Yeah, what is that? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, well, my understanding, I asked my friend about it, and what he said is that, like, people are tipping her pennies. So they're, like, getting her to say it, and they'll give her, like, 50 pennies, and she's making a penny every time. But the thing is, if she says, like, I don't know, 10,000 of those in a minute for a penny each, that's, like, 100 bucks. Or How did that start? Uh, TikTok. And it was think, just, it think, was just I think, like... I think there's transactions in TikTok, is my understanding. I don't even use it, so I've know. never been on it either. That's what, so. My understanding is that like you on TikTok, you get paid not only for views, right? I, I guess my understanding. I'd have to look it up. This is where we need a Jamie, you know. Yeah. But I think TikTok pays for views, pays you for views, and then you can also like set up your own, just like you know a subscription model on Instagram or like a Patreon situation. Yeah, but even Instagram has like where you can subscribe and pay people and get their like. Whatever their second. So how does it work? Somebody, it's like fifty bucks for me or fifty cents for me to say yum fifty times, and someone gives me fifty cents, and then I. I think people can tip whatever they like, but yeah. Or is it just like how hard am I? How much does TikTok pay? Good. So here, how fast? If you're a content creator, there's one ultimate goal you're working towards to make money. You want to be able to get something. So if you're build a following on TikTok, you're curious how much you can earn from it. According to reports from top influencers, TikTok pays around two to four cents every thousand views. That doesn't seem like a lot. 20, so to, 50, 20 to 50 bucks for a million views. So if you make a video that gets 100,000 views, you get three, four bucks. Yeah. But they make your shit go viral to, you know, you got hundreds of millions of people, you know, or whatever. But I wonder, like, to where, right? Because, like, it, I, I heard that in TikTok, uh, for TikTok in China, it's completely different TikTok than what we have here in America. Right. Like, TikTok in China, it's, like, educational yeah. how-to videos. Like, it's right. just learning shit on there. Right. Ours is, like, dances. Like, they don't do TikTok dances in here, China. Some, one point, of the best right? ways to make money directly from TikTok is collecting diamonds, which produce high-quality content that make your fans want to send you gifts. Collect as many of these as possible. So you can monetize your content. Diamonds are valued at 50% of the value of coins. You know, five cents, twelve fifty. People can pay you. You know, people can pay you as an influencer too. So I think that's what she was doing. Is she has like people that are like signed up with these accounts or whatever, and are like tipping her on her live. And I, you know, it's probably some kid in Abu Dhabi or the Emirates, but that's got like an unlimited amount of money and him and his buddies are playing video games and think it's funny that they've got this like 14 people, they're all paying a penny to just say funny shit while they fucking make fun of them. You know, it's like- We're doomed, bro. That's a, like, if they're just, if they're entertainment. At the end of the day, they're, they're getting paid by their viewers or either TikTok or the viewers themselves to entertain people for 30 seconds, 30 minutes, 30 hours. and. Apparently, people want to, and you've seen it, I've seen it, this is why she's making money doing it. You can't look away from someone acting like a robot. I think we're at war. 
I think we're actively at war. I don't think wars yeah. are fought with tanks and troops on the ground anymore. I think they're fought on the internet. I think they go, here's the this future, new weapon we're going to do. We're going to release this weapon that's so addicting, and we're going to use it to make our young population smart, and we're going to use it to make the American population useless. dumb, useless, absolutely helpless to do anything for themselves in life. <laughs> I agree. And if that was how it's designed, yeah. tell me that it could have been done any more effectively. Yeah, that's I. That's if you were gonna do it, that's how you'd do it, right? Yeah, I mean it's literally well the best a, way a to, thing that they the best way to enact change is to make it voluntary, yeah. right? Make people, people think they want it. Yeah, exactly. right. I mean that's you the can't oldest convince them they want it. You have to make it apparent. Well, it's like the Sorry. the whole you'll own nothing and be happy, right? That's what they say at the World Economic Forum. That's the, that's the whole Bob <laughs> Schwab thing. Yeah, we're gonna give you your 15-minute cities. You're gonna own nothing, but you're gonna be responsible for nothing. You're right. Have you don't have to worry about stuff. anything. You don't have to worry at all. Right. We're all gonna have everything. We solved it all for you. So there's no incentive to work harder than the next guy now. All right, let's do this, and then I'm gonna walk around a little bit. All right. We're smoking pot, guys. RB 2.0. What are what are we smoking? What are we doing? Rainbow Belts 2.0, number 23. Rainbow Belts 2.0. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're back. Rainbow Belts 2.0. Number 23. Tell us about it, Fletch. It's uh, the DD20, which is the Rainbow Belts number 20 cut that everybody I sent out to everybody and sent to like 50 plus people in 2020. And that's made its way around the world. And you'll see it in other breeders' catalogs, seed catalogs. And used to make countless crosses. Yeah, now. clone catalogs. I've also used it in my breeding. I wouldn't say it's my breeder cut, even though people sell it as that. Um, it's just a clone that was a good find and it makes good hybrids, you know, after testing, that's <laughs> the main thing is, does it make good hybrids or not? You can find a great plant that doesn't make good hybrids and you can find a good plant that makes great hybrids. And, um, so that's crossed with a rainbow belts F1 male. And, uh, it's a lot like the rainbow belts number 20, which is from the original feminized Nimbo 75 Skittles. Feminized cross, mm -hmm. which is the DD20. It's that cross to a moon, Moonbow, or excuse me, a Rainbow Belts F1 memo. Absolutely gorgeous weed. I mean, the structure on this, uh, just like everything else we've been looking at this week, is just crazy. Perfectly manicured, you know, very well intact nugs. Super pungent aroma the second that this jar cracks. We've had maybe five jars open in the last 10 minutes, but this one just immediately dominated the room as soon as we opened it. Right yeah, now. it's that same Rainbow Belts smell that everybody loves, maybe just amped up a little bit or maybe like a creamy dankness to it, but it not in a creamy like milky way, but in a uh, in a very uh, culture palette. Yeah, it's not that Lucky Charms leftover cereal milk no. kind of way, but in more of a like a coffee creamer kind of way or something yeah or almost like, like very sweet yeah like a candy you know like a, like a cream candy of some sort like you ever had those strawberry um they're like red and white strawberry daiquiri kind of cream candies absolutely just pungent um smell a taste to me basically exactly the way it smells Real meaty nugs too. Yeah, good density. It's a good yielding plant also. 
You got one rolled up of that? That's not, yeah, I rolled the joint of it. Spark that baby. But yeah, I mean, she's pretty sticky. I mean, this stuff isn't the freshest either, but you know, anything more than about two seconds means your shit's fucking pretty damn sticky. You're not going to get that on any fucking shelf weed in California right now. Any shelf weed, you'll be lucky if it sticks to your finger at all, <laughs> period. So, you like your fingers are even sticky after breaking it up. Yeah, this will gum your scissors up in no time. In fact, I think we need to clean those scissors a little yeah. bit too. Where's the paper towel? Right here. So, talk Towards about the end of those scissors real quick. Talk about how this was grown. This was in um, cocoa fiber, ran with a custom low nitrate ionic nutrients mix. And uh, ionic is a company that makes uh, Clonex. So a lot of okay. people are familiar with Clonex products. And uh, we've been working with them on our Thousand Light operation, developing a custom nutrient for you know varieties that don't need as much nitrogen, so that you don't end up with like the real green plants and a lot of green tasting weed. We want a low nitrate you know, formula so that we can you know, get some of the more boutique varieties to perform. Uh, How low are we talking about? Like, what's like the half the amount of nitrogen as your standard blue formula. Okay. Yeah, so just make it easier for people that are uh, more focused on quality rather than production to have a, a nutrient in their arsenal that they can, you know, really apply to those type of plants, the plants that are, don't really grow really big or really tall or really weighty, but um, grow more like a traditional cannabis plant and put off nice big fat chunky nugs but get burnt whenever you use a high nitrate formula that's good for like the big stretchy plants that people like to put in you know, big operations where they're trying to get three pounds of light. Mm -hmm. The nutrients that are good for the plants that perform well in that is not really great for the plants that are better, better that perform more like a traditional indoor grow would be yeah. set up rather than a production indoor grow. And they'll still yield, you know, two, three pounds of light grown correctly. But if you use those high performance nutrients that are meant for high performance yielding plants on boutique varieties, you'll burn those varieties and they'll yield very poorly. What are uh, some of the strains that first got you started thinking down that path? It's always been out? like that for me. I'm, for me personally, since I kind of started out, like I said, with the organics and the doing um, nutrient tests with uh, the NFT tables and the um, Omega Gardens. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was in Rockwell and Pure Hydroponics, and then I also did deep water culture. So I had experimented a lot with different strains and plus my organic tests with all my different nu nutrients that I would add to the soil. And I kind of had a really good idea of like how to make a nutrient perform regardless of who manufactured it. Um, so I always had like a lo low nitrate nutrient form. And a lot of the time I like using GH3 part just because you have a lot more ability to adjust the nutrient because you have the three parts that are all high in different parts of the of your nutrient formula so you know like your green parts higher in nitrogen and potassium your phosphorus your the um pink part is highest in phosphorus and then the um uh uh like dark brown or purple looking stuff that's your micro that's uh the highest in nitrogen right so you can always take some of this out add a little bit of this not eat not even add any of these two of your nitrogen and just use only the bloom formula and kind of a, a, accomplish the same thing. But unfortunately, especially with how fast people are cycling through varieties, nobody really sticks with a variety long enough to really dial in its nutrient performance like, like a lot of growers used to do when the, 
when the choices for strains were small, a lot of the research and development went into cultivation. And how technique. to optimize the strains that we did have access to. Because you didn't really have a choice of like, oh, I'll just go try something else because this doesn't work for me. It's like, no, I got to figure out how to grow the one strain that I have that, that people love. Like, I got to figure out how to grow this well. And that's why when you really looked on the forums in the early days, there weren't really very many people interested in talking about strains too much because strains weren't really that, there weren't that many of them really. They were all localized and it was mostly single guys that had their variety. They didn't really share with anybody because they didn't know any other growers. So it was just lots of clone only varieties that were known in very small circles. And then the varieties that were sold in Amsterdam and in Canada. And that was pretty much all there was out there. Yeah. And so you didn't really have choices, buying seeds, you, you had plant limits if you were in a legal state and had your med card and you had no plant limits, but all the risk if you didn't even play that game regardless of where you were. So your plant limit if you were doing it legal really limited you from being able to try new things because there they don't there was no difference between plants and veg versus plants That's and flower. Right. It was just total number of plants. That's right. Which is not conducive to how the actual process works. Exactly. Or you're doing it, you know, illegally back then and in that case you can't really take too many chances because you're already taking the biggest chance. You need to capitalize off of that risk that you're taking. That's right. Why would I spend all this time and space and money putting it together a grow that's for research and development when it could be making me money? And I don't have all the time in the world because what I'm doing is highly illegal. So most people just didn't really engage in that part of the business and most people were strictly focused online about new cultivation methods. How can I grow more efficiently? How can I grow with less lighting? What's my grant? like? Nowadays you hear people talk about their yields and they say yield per square foot because our limitation now is just how many square feet. It used to be per watt. Now it used to be, it used to be per watt because everybody's old limitation used to be how many amps of power can I get into my house? How many amps of power can I get into my shop building? And you only had so many so, so you're always trying to maximize whatever your limiting factor is. And so if your plant counts are a limiting factor of these other factors, other things become not important to a lot of growers. That's why a lot of the real skunky strains kind of got lost in the wind too because it was hard to keep the smell down prior to carbon filters, which came out around 99, 2000. So anything prior to that, I want to go low smell varieties. And that's why back then you'd see a lot of people advertising that. Yeah. Top 44 is low odor, yeah. which is completely not desirable what from you, a consumer standpoint. I want a weed that I, I want a strain that I can't smell, you know? I mean, I understand like, you know, trying to damp down the smell a little bit when it's growing, but mm -hmm. I mean, I, to think that you're going to grow something that, that doesn't smell good when it's growing yeah. and then the finished product is somehow then going to be good. <coughs> I mean, some people just want to get high and I get that too, but if you're, if you're going to go through all the risk, take all that risk, like we were talking about and do all that and spend all this money on it, you might as well do, try, try to do the best and have the best strain, but then once you have a good strain that you really like, it's really tasty, it's real stinky or whatever, back then it used to be all about maximizing the grow. Okay, it doesn't like soil. Well, I'm gonna learn how to grow DWC then. Cause I'm gonna get, you know, a gram per watt, not half a gram per watt if I do that. So everybody used to figure out and dial in their strain and because you were only one, running one strain, you're growing the same thing every time. And now I can start trying stuff on it and say, oh, that's, doing a bloom booster at day 30 really helps the performance of this plant. Having a low nitrate formula 
really is just better for this type of variety or progeny of this variety. I wonder how many things have been given up on and you know the, like you're saying how things have kind of switched over in the last five or ten years. Tons. I mean so many things have been given up on that you know if given a little bit more time and a few more tweaks it might have actually proven to be really viable mm -hmm. you know but because everybody it's so easy like you said to just hop from one ah, I didn't like the results I got there let's try something. Doesn't yield enough even though it will yield enough just not in the environmental conditions that you're used to providing to your high yielding varieties. They will perform, you just have to learn them. And the, the financial constraints in the business model of cannabis nowadays doesn't allow most growers to experiment very much with that, especially if the growers don't also own the business. If it's owned by a bunch of chads, even if you are a good grower working for them, the odds that they're going to let you figure out how to run a strain 10 weeks that does yield enough to make it make sense in the business, they're not the, the top brass isn't going to let you do it because they don't understand cultivation. And what makes sense to them is having a schedule like the place is a factory. Well, they want it to be like any other business because most of, most of the time they're coming in from another sector. You exactly. know what I mean? They don't actually understand... I mean, they understand supply and demand is the same as any other business, but this business, there's so many other factors and so many little niche markets and stuff like that, that it's like, I mean, I guess it's like wine or something else. Like, yeah. like you said, there's some people who just want to get hammered, Yeah, you know, and they're happy just going to the liquor store and picking up a 12 pack or whatever. There's other people who, are, who geek out on, oh, this is this year. This was a good year. You know what I mean? That's right. And I, I really think that there's there would be a huge space for somebody who did come in and just try to corner that, like, we don't run any of these typical eight-week strains that everybody else is running. You know what I mean? We only run shit that no... I mean, if you catered more towards those types of varieties, you would essentially have stuff that other people could have, but you would corner the market on that exact thing. Okay. And it's not due to exclusivity. It's not something special that you developed that you're hoarding. It's something that's available to everybody else, but they just don't want to put in the time, the risk, the R&D to actually make it worthwhile. Exactly. But I really think but that the customer wants do that. that. Yeah, well, the demand it, is there. It's like we've talked about before where the markets within the state are not quite big enough to justify that business. It's just this, your state's big enough for like a 10 or 20 lighter hum grow. But that's just one state. Like if you can sell 20 lights worth of your like heady hash or heady weed or whatever it is that you're growing in your state right now and you have your own little brand, even with legal weed knocking on your door and your customers are still loyal, it's likely that you'd be able to sell that many lights worth of product in every state. So if you can grow 20 lights and sell it all in, let's say, California, well, you can, or let's say, let's say a harder state, like Colorado. Let's say if you can grow 20 lights worth of weed in Colorado and sell it all and your customers are happy at the price that you, like a good price that's, that's profitable, it's more than likely when legalization happens that there's 50 other states with, um, that would want to buy the same amount, 20 lights worth. So 50, they need a thousand lights now. So like... If you're successful at a 20 light level in a small state with legal weed still being there and people still want your shit, they don't care about legal weed. If you were that successful, if you were able to catch that many consumers in your local area, but on a nationwide level, you'd be a thousand lighter. Yeah. Just, you know, to just put it into perspective, it's like just a little 20 light guy, there's enough people in the country at the same success rate you're already at having. There's enough people, if you can access them around the country, 
that your 20 lights is actually a thousand lights worth of demand, which is pretty impressive. Just no infrastructure or you know legislation in place to actually make it possible right. to meet that demand. Of course, and you don't want to right now anyways, because all you're gonna do is grow too much for your local area and then collapse the price of your own product. But once the whole country can buy your product, if you can make 20 lights worth of people happy in Denver, Colorado, there's no reason you can't make 20 lights worth of people happy in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. with the same product, same branding, same everything you're already doing. Why wouldn't you be able to? Even if you aren't as successful in all 50 states, let's just say you're successful in Denver and can sell 20 lights worth of hash, right? Well, let's just do the good good cities. Let's say you can be just as successful in Denver as you are in like LA, Frisco, Vegas, Houston, you know, let's say 10 good cities, not even at just 10 good cities, Atlanta, DC, New York. There's like just little groups of people that really like your shit. Well, that's 10 times that you already have, it's 200 lighter. <laughs> and that's a pretty good business if you're getting the prices that you want and customers are happy. And because there's nobody else doing it, we're talking about growing these more exotic, longer flowering strains. Or just there's stuff nobody... you hunted yourself. It could be fast flowering, but unique. Yeah. And you're the only one that has it, yeah. or, or or nobody else likes growing it. Like, I always say this now, now today is Skittles, the actual, actually really well-grown, just straight Skittles, still commands a really high price, like a pound of it. Because it's so hard to grow, no one wants to grow it. Yeah. So even just a widely available variety, even if it's really <laughs> good, and you just grow it really good and, and focus your grow on that, you could probably be the guy that sells $3,000 pounds of Skittles of the original clone that everybody has simply because no one else wants to do that and you are it doesn't even need to be unique to you and it doesn't need to be long flowering or more expensive with skittles finishes in eight weeks it's just hard to grow yeah. so it's like any anything that makes a strain prohibitively expensive or difficult to produce anybody that wants to dial in their grow can be the new king of that of that silo of cannabis sales yeah. of branded strain cannabis sales let's call it you don't yeah and it goes back to what you're saying before like dialing in all the different aspects for that one variety back in the day people used to do that and so I think that's why batches of, used to be so important you remember that batch last month it was so good yeah it's because someone was dialing it in yeah but I, I think also it's like not having that it just makes it to where it just feels like the overall progression is just slowed. It's it's artificial yeah. to how it would actually be if if it were different. You know what I mean? Like like we should be coming out with five or six totally crazy new strains that are not like everything else every year. You yeah. know what I mean? And they should be like making their way into the market quickly and gain popularity quickly. You know what I mean? Like it's. There's so there's so much out there available and so many things that are untapped into that it shouldn't just be a market that's like 70% gelato in it, California. Well, it's I mean? just it, the main reason is because the the types of cannabis businesses that would be successful on a nationwide scale is like this wide. But the type that'll be successful on a statewide level with overproduction the way it is is like this narrow. There's hardly any business models that really work. They've compressed all everything that would be successful into a very narrow window of what will actually work in a market like that. And so people just 
have good ideas that are outside of this narrow window, but it doesn't work. So like even if you set up 200 lights in California, but you don't have anything unique to sell and whatever, you're gonna end up growing three pound of light gelato too, because you definitely can't afford to grow one and a half pound of light something else that doesn't sell in the black market. You see what I'm saying? It's like none of what's successful in California is, is really even based on what the consumers in California want. Yeah. It's based more on what the trappers and everybody will move through. And so at the end of the day, like the consumers barely getting catered to at all. It's really the middlemen that are all getting catered to because everybody has more production than their actual consumers want from them. So the real value is in being able to offload that, you know? So that's where all the middlemen come in. That's right. You know? If 80% yeah. of your product's going out the back door, do you really care about what the 20% people are asking for? Yeah. No, you're just gonna give them the best of whatever the 100% is and then give all the trappers the 80%. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy, man, because it's a house of cards. I mean, some states are set up a lot better than others, you know what I mean? Yeah. But California is just, I mean, it's gonna to get to a point where like, I mean, the biggest operators out there are either losing a shit ton of money or like you're saying, backdooring majority of their Well, stuff. we'll see how long they can keep paying their bills in cash or see how long they can um, uh, hemorrhaging money. And you know, Metrics got lawsuits against them right now too. Because I forget one of the guys, one of the, you know, admin guys at Metric, one of the higher ups there, was caught on a live recording saying that they know stuff's being backdoored and of they're course. not doing anything to stem it. Of you course. know what I mean? I don't know. It's weird too, because like that's a system that's actually worked pretty well in other states, like Colorado. I didn't see. It's we never worked. There, but it's worked better. You no, know it's I mean? never worked. I mean, it doesn't. It's there's you can't. Tracking where the plant was grown doesn't really matter. All you really need to track is once it's trimmed. You see what I'm saying? Like you don't, you like you'd be better if you want to stop backdooring weed. You'd be better off not track, not spending any money on tracking and tracing any of the growing product, right? And just worried about harvested weight. Yeah, and, and, then, and so if you had everybody watching the harvest cameras whenever everyone's harvesting, right, or what, like. You'd be more effective at stopping them by stopping them when they're leaving the facility with the pounds than you would be trying to keep track of plants in a grow and what actually yielded and what didn't yield. I mean, it's easy to just say that like, oh, these hundred plants yielded 20 pounds instead of a hundred. And then the, if no one's paying attention to where the 80 other pounds goes out the back door, then it doesn't matter what some guy typed into the metric account. I think it's even easier when it comes to like the extract side of it. You know what I'm saying? Because you just bring the oh, stuff yeah. in. What are you going to watch? I'm going to destroy it. Oh, it tested hot for mold. Like you just send in them, like you have a batch of 100 pounds of weed, right? That you just bought off of somebody to extract. This is what most people are doing, right? But even if you just want to backdoor it straight out of your own grill, all you got to do is fudge some metric numbers. Yeah. No one's watching once it leaves. So that's their main problem. It's like, you're not gonna stop anybody if you're not stopping them. <laughs> what, your fucking paperwork is gonna stop them? <laughs> no, it doesn't stop anybody. That's why there's so much fraud in this fucking country. Paperwork didn't stop anybody. It's just another checkpoint they gotta get through. They don't give a fuck. I don't know, man. Or well, I mean, how do you think things are gonna change if and when it goes federally legal? Like, is that gonna... I think the overproduction issues and all that stuff will only get worse. It's going to get worse? Yeah, because it's going to be all the people that don't, aren't trying to give the customer what they need. They're just trying to fill a vacuum 
that lack of access has had. That's what everybody in every state did. Like these big companies like Glasshouse and shit, they're just growing fuckloads of cheap, crappy weed, right? They're only alive because they're backdooring pounds, just like most of these big fucking greenhouse grows. They're not, so do they actually have a viable business? No. Their business would not survive if they had to actually only sell to people within their own state legally. It wouldn't exist. They couldn't create enough revenue. I mean, they grow half of the state's supply a year or something like that. It's like the what the state needs to consume, they're growing half that amount. They have the productive capacity to grow. If the state needs a million pounds to smoke, they're able to grow 500,000 pounds a year or how much ever it is. The, the thing is, though, is even the legal weed is getting diverted in California. So like California's real market size, once all states around it are legal and there's no shipping to the East Coast or anything like that necessary because the East Coast has its own grows, um, like it's way, gonna be way smaller than e the record market will be even smaller than it is right now in California. You don't think there'll the still be demand though from the neighboring states? You know what I mean? Like no. California would probably fill some of the demand for... Who ships weed to Oregon from California? Yeah. Well, I get, not black market, but I'm talking about... In fact, the only people, any, only direction I know weed moving between Oregon, Washington, and California is to California. Because people are growing better, higher quality shit in states around California where it's cheaper to produce it and then bring it to California and sell it to California consumers that want better product than the rec, rec markets. Like, I guess that's one fact, thing that's flip-flopped in it, the Yeah, in fact, I would say that if you look at most of this shit, California is probably a net importer of high-quality brands. There's probably more high-quality brands that send their product to California to get sold to locals and, and worldwide consumers from California than there is California brands that are only selling to California. You think so? I'd say it's getting pretty close. Wow. Because a lot of people have moved, even people from California have moved out of the state to do their operation where it's cheaper to operate. It's just funny because like five, ten years ago, it was the complete opposite. It's like too expensive to grow in California. Like I'm not saying it's not Californians, but like there's tons of guys that went to Oklahoma, set their shit up there because it's way cheap. They get way more lights, no, almost no regulation. Now they're shipping their shit back to California to get sold. It's just crazy. Like we've never had anything else like this. You know what I mean? Like something that's so that's regulated so differently from state to state, and the fact that it's federally illegal. Like it just creates so many weird opportunities and advantages yeah. and disadvantages, and creates so many opportunities for illegal business. Yeah. You know, because it's set up that way. Exactly. It's like, man, it seems like if we all just did what. Everybody, what most people would vote for and be in favor of anyway, what's just like yeah. a logical solution. Fully legalized weed, some sort of assimilation of all the states and integrate some type, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's just, I don't know, I think we'll look back at these times. I mean, it, it, we'll, we always look back and say, oh, it's the wild west of like weed right now. Like it was crazier 10 years ago, you know? But I think eventually all the dust has to settle and things will look very different. And we'll look back at these times like, wow, that was chaotic. Yeah, I think it's true for any new industry that's becoming regulated or industrialized. You got a lot of people that are trying to do it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the brands that deliver a promise to their consumer and deliver on that, that survive. Yeah. And there will be a lot of them because the cannabis industry is really big. I just think the people that 
their business plan is to supply a need, not provide a unique experience or a branded experience, are, are people that won't survive long term because they're not focusing on their customer. Look, you know, take a book from, take a page from Amazon or any of those guys. Focus on the consumer, what they want. Find who your consumer is and focus what they want. Bring them what they want and make it convenient and easy. And good value. And where they, they, where they get it and they go, wow, this is great quality for the price that I paid. I'm gonna keep buying this. And if they do it again, yeah. it's the same experience, right. and again, it's the same experience. That's why people buy Toyotas. And it's because there's no thought into it too. No, they I bought, I bought they a trust Toyota, it. I drove it for 20 years, it never gave me problems, I bought another one, same thing. Yeah. I'll never buy anything else. Right. Because then I'll have that. I don't even need to try. Car. Yeah, I don't even need to try anything else. I'm happy with what I got. And a lot of consumers are that way. If you want loyal consumers, that's what, that's what you should be going for. If you're looking to just catch the next, you know, window shopper, this, you know, time around, Go buy Alfa Romeo or something. Be in the shop six times a year. So, you know, you can try it out. Maybe you'll get you'll be lucky and get the one that's reliable. But they have the reputation they do for a reason. Yeah. I, I there have definitely always been like a, a chase to find the best weed always. But I, I always I never realized that I don't necessarily love the chase. It's not like I want to fucking not know if I'm gonna be you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like I wanna know that I can get something that's ten out of ten gonna get me excited every single time yeah but I'm still gonna get sick of smoking the same thing all the time yeah for so sure. that's why it's I, I think even like a lot of the brands that come out with something that might be great and have a lot of success they try to ride the wave of that one you know success for as long as possible instead of immediately trying to figure out what's the next thing what are we gonna follow this up with because that's the foot in the door Nobody ever really thinks about getting that next foot in the door and keeping it going. You know oh, do you I mean? want to have a one hit one or do you want to have a string of hits? Yeah. I prefer a string of hits. Cause easier said than done though. Yeah. There's a lot of one hit wonders. There's, there's, it's easy to, I'm not going to say it's easy to do it once, but a lot of people can do it once and you might chalk it up to luck. But if you've done it again and again and again and again, you have a talent. It can't be luck at that point. Exactly. You know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of how breeding is. Part of it is just getting lucky, and then part of it is just putting in the work so that you can get consistent results that can be hits. And then you get them. And being you know, able and willing to tweak things and do things here or there. Push and take it. all the losses. Yeah. Because you know, you got to write a lot of bad songs to get one good hit. Yeah. But the payoff when you get the good hit makes all the bad ones worth it. Instead yeah. of just playing it safe and doing that same thing that you know slides into the pocket, try to shoot to do something different. And if you come out down here, it's all right. You're gonna get to try it again. You know exactly. What I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's the attitude that's missing nowadays from the entire industry. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of people just trying to Copy catch that. up with what's working right now. Keep up with the Jones. Instead of figure out what is going to be next. Right. What is my consumer ultimately really going to be asking for or want? And it just sucks because if everybody was pushing the envelope, everybody would benefit. It's because mean? the government's allowed farms to be too big to where all they're focusing is on making money and not providing the consumer with an experience that we've lost a lot of that diversity in that consumer experience. Because you got farms that are big enough to be a hundred other farms. And they're only succeeding because their price is low, not because they're providing a low price and a good quality. But they just put everybody else out of business and the, quality, the other hundred farms that would have existed in their place, which some of them would have been good, some of them would have been okay, some of them would have been crappy, but it's a diverse range of different choices that people could have instead of 
all one crappy choice. And then there's no incentive for the provider to, to make it better. Yeah, to, and, to there's no, the, and there's no incentive for these little farmers to try to compete against the big guy because he'll just put up another greenhouse and drop his price $200 to put you out of business again. So it's like you allow these people to be too big for their state size and they can't even prove that they can sell through the all product like glass house, right? Where we know they're not selling all their product. You're growing 500,000 pounds a year, but you're only selling 30,000 in the legal market. How's that fucking add up? I don't know if that's actual numbers, but we'll look it up. It's numbers like that. It's like you have the productive capacity for a million pounds a year, but you only sell 50,000 in the legal market. So where's all the rest of it go? Oh, our yields are real bad. We get 10 times less wheat per foot than everybody else. Like bullshit. Yeah. So, and that's the reality situation. And you know, I think just focusing on quality and providing the consumer with the experience that we enjoy as people have been working cannabis for 10, 20 years. Um, I think we don't need to change people's minds. They'll change. They all ex the experience changes it for you. One thing I always like find funny is you see all, all these like podcasts. They always ask people, "What was your first time smoking weed?" And to me, that's not really memorable. The first time just smoking some pots, not as memorable as what was the first time you experienced cannabis where it changed your whole outlook? You're like, wait, this isn't just pot. This is the weed plant. Like, what bag of weed took you to that place? What bag of weed was did you smoke and realize that you would now always be smoking weed? Right. In some capacity. Yeah, what, cha what, what bag of weed changed your life? It wasn't that bag of fucking dirt weed that you saw when you were 13. Yeah. For some people, maybe, because they like getting high, but there's this experience where you go from, oh, I'm just buying bags of weed, and the weed is whatever it is, to, I, I won't buy that weed. I'm looking for chronic. I'm looking for the head stash. Who's got some homegrown? Who's got the white widow? Who's got the dog shit who's got the albert walker like when did it that, that's a two totally different people i want some pot and i want some albert walker it's I, like it's like food i want a hamburger or i want wagyu beef there's not the same person i can actually remember that moment for me now that now that you, you kind of talk about it a little yeah. bit so i started smoking probably in 2002 2003 something like that yeah back then it was like especially in northern california it was pretty much humble urkel that was all the rage that's what was fetching the most people were paying five grand a pound for fucking tiny little fucking rock hard purple nuggets yeah and that i was in high school bro that's what everybody had that's all anybody wanted was purple so for the first i don't know six months or a year that i was smoking all the weed kind of looked the same, and that was the only weed that I had ever seen. So I thought all weed kind of looked like that, mm -hmm. right? I hadn't really gotten into it yet. It was just like, yeah, we were smoking. Bop, pop. Just smoking to get high. Yeah. You know, oh, I got some, some bud, bro. You know, I yeah. never even thought anything about it. And then I had a buddy that was a little bit older. He went to a dispensary. Went over to his house. He had a jar of some Chem D. Yeah. He passed it to me. I look, obviously, you if you've only ever seen, like, fucking dense little purple golf ball nuggets... And then you open a jar of some chem for the first time. See all the I resin like, on it? What in the fuck is this? This yeah. is the same thing as this? Yeah. It's like these big old crazy calyx nugs with hair sticking all off of it. Yeah. Crazy gassy, fuely smell that didn't smell anything like. I was used to, you know, smoking shit that like if it was really good purple weed, it smell it tasted exactly like candy. You know, just yeah. sweet, grapey. It wasn't there. I didn't 
you know, I didn't get like, oh my god, the, the skunkiness, the gassiness. Yeah. Like, when I first started smoking weed, the weed that was popular at that time didn't remind me of like the, you know, when you're a kid and you would smell adults around you smoking weed and you would just smell like, oh, it smells like a skunk is around. I never got that when I started smoking weed. But the first time I cracked that jar of Chem D, it opened my mind to, oh, this is a totally different thing. And then when I tried a strain that was more like that and started understanding that there's different effects that you get too. Some weed makes you fucking creative and want to do shit. Some weed fucking makes you want to take a nap. Some weed gives you the munchies, some weed, you know what I mean? Once I had that epiphany and realized that you could tap into certain different things by smoking different kinds of weed, mm -hmm. that's when I realized like, oh shit, this isn't just about getting high. Like there's way more to this. There's so much more to dig into. You so it's a I mean? jar of D from a dispensary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, that's the most memorable, like I see you're smiling about it. Right? Yeah. Cause honestly right? I hadn't that, thought that was, about that. That was the moment. It's like, it's not the first time you smoked pot. For most people, the first time you smoked pot wasn't, that wasn't the experience. Most people are even like, I didn't even get high. I was with my yeah. older brother and he made me smoke and I didn't really like it until I tried this or that. But there's this difference where like you tried a bunch of bunk shit for years or just didn't really know or weren't paying attention. And then finally someone showed you some weed where you're like, holy fuck, this is what the plant does? Wait, there's more kinds? Wait, I don't like, I don't just like smoking pot to get high. I like this plant. Well, I like I what it does. Like, I think it's interesting. I want to know more about it. I'm going to go drive halfway across the fucking state to buy a bag of some weed I heard about on a forum. And that's where this channel started. Am I wrong? Yeah. It was all about the pursuit of, because as soon as I found out there was other kinds, I'm like, oh, now I want to know missing? what and why I buy yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like if this is, and I don't think I could have seen anything. It's, it was actually a perfect time because if you show me like some, some real fucking clacked out chem D that's just like super calyxy here, great herb, looking yeah. crazy. It's skunky. Still, still oh, dude, chem crosses are still uh, all, top always tier. at the top to me. But if you, th there's no be better <laughs> contrast than that like 2003, 2004 yeah. humble purple herbal. That is another one of those strains that nobody really grows now because it stays small. You know, it's not, people, people want purple now, they just want gelato. You can do things. That's one of those ones where like, nowadays everything's purple, but it's not necessarily like true purple genetics for the most mm -hmm. part. Like a lot of the old purples and stuff that you work with, nobody works with anymore. Nowadays it's just like altering things, cooling down the room, doing other stuff to change Sherbert color. Yeah, but not actually purple genetics. Like back in the day, it was like we had real purple strains, purple Urkels, even like gray beige. <laughs> there was more distinct. That was candy purple, yeah, they were know? distinct on their own. And I don't see that around anywhere anymore. Yeah, I mean, it just. Um, is what it is it's funny because like it's a productivity and pricing thing and like i said it's just the general overproduction in the marketplace that's made those business models not viable on a state to state level they'll probably only be viable on a nationwide level because there'll be enough people that do want to smoke the grapes that you can grow it and get one and three quarter pounds of light and grow it some special way, but you're selling like $15 million worth of this shit. So yeah, it's a little more expensive to grow it and it's a little more trouble and no one else wants to do it, but that's why it works for you. Yeah. Is you're the only guy that wants to grow the GDP 
and sell it. No one else wants to do it. The market's not that big for it anyways, but across the nation, it's big enough for you to make a good living. And that's, hopefully that'll be the re-emergence of like the, the craft grower. Yeah. I think there's just going to be such a strong demand for that from a, from a nostalgia perspective. You know what I mean? Hopefully, Like yeah. when I was just talking about that, that Cam D, all these different memories started flooding back I can back see you smile. That's what I was saying. You're like... You're I was like, thinking yeah. about all different types of like weed memories and just memories I have from being a kid from around that time that that sparks. You know what I mean? 100%. That makes me... I, I want to smoke some Cam now. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? So it's like... That once you and that's when you realize and like weed. That's when you know it changed from weed to like this is part of my life now. I'm this plant is a part of my life. Even if I don't like, even if I don't want to smoke weed anymore, I'm still going to be fascinated with the smell, the flavor, all this stuff exactly. of the plant. And that's what like people don't realize. There's a lot of people that are addicted to growing weed that don't even smoke anymore, but they're addicted to growing. They can't stop. Right? People in older age or even my age that are just, they grow and they just sell the weed or just give it away to their friends because they just love growing. They don't even burn anymore. Yeah. Because they got too too much work to do. But they but they, the idea of like not growing is like, they're like, no, I wouldn't do that. Well, I think it's a it's it's a meditative thing too. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's people who just love gardening and they don't even need to grow food to eat it. They might not even particularly like flowers, but they like being out there in the sun, yeah. having their hands in the dirt. You know, just having that that moment, that That's right. appreciating the plant. And I think what maybe a lot of people, if they spend a you know big chunk of their life growing, you might maybe you get to some reason where you can't smoke anymore. Maybe you can only do edibles. Maybe you just you know you don't like it anymore for whatever reason. That's right. I could totally understand that still wanting to grow. But they have a harder if time I, stopping growing than they do stopping smoking. Say thirty years <laughs> from now, I don't smoke weed anymore. Yeah. Every time I run into you and you have jars on you, I'm still gonna want to open all the jars and smell them. That's what I'm. Saying. And I'm still gonna geek out if I smell something I've never smelled before. Exactly, you know I mean? and and uh, and I'm not saying just cannabis can have this effect on your life. There's all kinds of people that have this relationship with all kinds of plants or species or or pets yeah. or all kinds of stuff. It's just what was that one experience that where it changed from like oh these are just people's pets these dogs to like I, I'm a dog person I love yeah. dogs. Same thing with weed. There there it wasn't. It wasn't just like, for most people, they didn't just start out like that. There was a specific experience. With weed, it's usually a strain. With a dog, it would be probably a specific dog you or a family member somebody had, and you're just like, man, that dog was so cool. Like, how could I not want to have one of those in my house that's or That's why my people family? tend to be breed dog, breed people. Like, I have beagles and that's all I have yeah, is golden, golden retriever person or whatever. Yeah. Shih tzu exactly. people, little fluffy chihuahua people. They, love, they, it's, they had this experience with either one of their own or someone else's dog that made them affectionate towards that. And it was a specific experience. It wasn't the first time they pet a dog that they knew that chihuahuas were the ones. It was after they had seen dogs as kids, or or maybe it was that was the kid, the dog they grew up with. But it was always a specific, or not always, but it's typically is some sort of specific experience that really makes you affectionate towards, especially uh, something that's living, yeah. a plant or something that requires a plant or an animal or something that requires attention and uh, devotion to it to keep it alive and to and to cultivate it. And, and, and you do that simply because you know it adds value to your life. I think, not to get too philosophical, but I think that type of stuff really is kind of the key to living a happy life. Is having shit yeah. that you get excited for, even for tiny little moments throughout the day. 
Every day when I get home, I'm excited to see my dogs. Every morning when I take that first toke, I'm excited. It's fulfillment. You know what I mean? Every time you have a really good meal, whether you make it yourself or you're excited to go to a place and you wait in the anticipation, then you go and then they deliver and it's as good as you thought it was going to be. Food does that for a lot mm -hmm. of people. I'm not talking about like gluttony and people that are addicted no. to food, but people who really appreciate fine dining. Yep. You know what I mean? There's so many. It can be, it can hard, be anything. It can be anything. But you have to find something in life that gets you excited, that you'll well, get out of bed for, And it's you know? it's that you have to put in effort, time, investment, or whatever it is, to get the reward is really a big part of the what makes people happy. And I right? think what makes Having people to happy invest. is things that feel rewarding, and the only way something can feel truly rewarding is if you know you put in the work. That's right. You know? If you invested the time, energy, uh, you know, whatever it is that that you were trying to accomplish, there's always going to be some sort of hardship that's required to get there. And the depth of that hardship, the more it is something you dislike and then you accomplish it, the more rewarding that feeling is going to be because you're overcoming your, your fears or your insecurities or whatever it may be. Yeah. I just think everybody's got to find that thing, you know what I mean? For yeah. me, it's weed, dogs, reefing, you, it's obviously weed first, but you got a lot of hobbies too. Fishing, sure. yeah. fucking. All kinds of stuff. All types of shit. Like yeah. you're, you're yeah. like me, bro. Like you could, if the day was 40 hours long, you could fill every hour of the day and stay busy. Either sure. with work or with hobbies or something, you know? Yeah. I, that's just, I, I, man, I can't stress that enough. Like you, you gotta find your thing, man. I don't no, know being a lot of lazy like young is, people. Being that, lazy is not a weed specific thing. It's a, just a human thing. and. We can either help or help you not be lazy, and it can help you be lazy. Being you, lazy you, is not a personality trait either, you, man. You it's pick, you, you, pick you get to pick what, which one it is. Yeah. I've literally been the guy in my life who sleeps until 12 every day, and I've been the guy who gets up at 4 a.m. every day. You know right. what I mean? It's just a conscious decision that you make working on yourself. And it, well, it doesn't really matter which one it is. How much shit are you getting done? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know, if, I know guys who can work 12 to 5 and get more done than the guy who works 18 hours a day. I don't you care how you do it. Just do it and take your pride with you and expect people to pay you because you're creating that value. But at the end of the day, it still comes back to that. It's only going to feel rewarding if you know that you put your best foot forward. That's right. You know? So I think just taking that into everything that you do will make you exceed, you know, excel at whatever it is you choose to do and that's true whether it's weed you know what i mean because there's well, people you see the difference when somebody's in somebody might be really talented like a really talented grower but they're just in it for the money mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same as somebody who's really talented and is also really passionate you know what i mean well You're that's never going to be able to compete with true passion that's how you guarantee long-term success is if you know you put the work in you know other people can't just replicate that you can't just get that overnight. They can't just copy it. If you know you're like out there just doing the least amount of work pro as possible, representing it as something else and then selling it on selling that onto your consumer, that won't you won't have any longevity. It's that. not sustainable too because of burnout, right? If you're doing well, if you're something burning just every to get bridge by, you cross, right? So every time you cross a bridge, you burn it behind you. There's no going back. You'll never have a continuous path to feed yourself assets you you've got you just are burning your assets off every time you do it it's like a it's like a um advancing army that burns crops behind them what are you guys going to eat yeah what are you going to eat and retreating armies guess what they do they burn the land behind them 
so that their advancing army that's chasing them nothing has to nothing eat. to eat. Yeah. So it's, you know, a lot of just human nature stuff is can even be related to war strategy or any of this stuff. I mean, that's why just a, you know, wide range of hobbies and interests can have a lot of value um, in business or just life. That's why I think if you're able to take your hobby and turn it into your business, like you have, like I have, you know what I mean? It's, it's another one of those things where it's like, you will outwork your competition, not even by trying to outwork them. Because the guy who hates his job and comes in and busts his ass, he's gonna wanna be out of there when the fucking bell rings, you know yeah. what I mean? When it's time for him to clock out, he's done. But me, if I'm having fun doing this shit, I actually like this shit. I might be up doing this till midnight and not even realize it. Well, I might forget to eat because I'm yeah. enjoying this shit so much. And no one can I mean? no one can recreate that. Right? And, and no, nobody, you can't yeah. compete with me if that's the level that I'm on, man. That's if right. If I love this shit and you hate this shit, I'm gonna dominate you every fucking time. That's right. You know what I mean? So it's like it's that's not why even when they say find find what you like and do that. Right. That's what that's what it means, saying, man. That's what it means. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I honestly feel really fucking blessed, bro, to be, to one, to, to do things that I love every day in my life, but to also be surrounded by other people who are excited about what they're doing in life. That shit's contagious, bro. If you're around people that are not happy with their life and not happy with where they're at, and they're not striving every day to change that, if, if you're around somebody who's digging themselves out of a hole, that shit can be inspiring. But if you're somebody who's just sitting down in the hole yeah you know that shit drags you down too so it's like at the end of the day man you create your own reality and all this shit is proof you know what i mean who you surround yourself with is proof the outlook that you wake up with every day is proof that like you can you know you can change your reality and this fucking plant right here can either help you or it can hold you back it's up to you how you choose to use it that's the name of the game everything's like that Shit, what you eat for lunch could do that. <laughs> Speaking of which. Can hold you down or hit you hit you back. I'm nice and stony. I know this was supposed to be a strain review. Sometimes a review, sometimes. No, we'll just we'll, we'll just cat we'll just, you know. Chop it up. Yeah. You guys know how we do it. Yeah. Chop chop. Cool. Later. Mario Belts 2.0. See ya. <laughs> belts. Strap your belts on, kids. Perfect. We got we got these down like exactly an hour every time. <laughs>